0: The Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. Hi again, everyone. I'm Tony Cardasco. You could follow us at Lockdown VGK on Twitter and YouTube. Myself at Tony Dasco. Chris Golic at TDChrisG on Twitter. And thank you so much for making Lockdown Golden Knights your first listen each and every day. We are brought to you today by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And, Chris, the Colorado Avalanche not only made it past the second round this season, but uh, last night uh, they finished off and captured the Stanley Cup, winning their series four games to two. They beat the Lightning two uh, to one in that contest. Uh, Whenever a team went to championship, right, I I tune into a local station to hear reactions. And thank you so much to the fan, 104.3 in Denver for keeping me up all night, by the way, great coverage. (laughs) Uh, What really stands out to me uh, from the closeout game was the way that the abs frustrated the champions and the latter stages began in the second period. And then in the third period, Tampa was held to just four shots on goal and they held onto the puck in their offensive zone and their forecheck I felt was exceptional in the contest, especially in the third period. It was a team that many believed was just a little bit too soft coming into the season, but they wound up being very physical, and they won this series right on grid and by playing physical hockey.
1: No doubt. Um, You know, Colorado was the chalk pretty much the entire season, and not often does the chalk uh, do what the chalk does uh, in winning the Stanley Cup in that type of fashion. There's two key moments that just really stand out to me uh throughout the series. And the first one is what you mentioned, just the way they closed out that game. I mean, you cannot close out a Stanley Cup clinching game any better than that. I mean, you knew Tampa was going to come out firing and they had an early two on one. That was a very high quality scoring chance. and They couldn't convert. And outside of that, there just was nothing in the entire third period. And it was absolutely Shocking to watch from the Tampa side and marveling to watch from the Colorado side. Uh, the second moment I'll go back to is that overtime uh, game uh, number two, I believe, when just the pressure nonstop was on Colorado, was on Tampa from Colorado in overtime. And you just never saw the puck on the other side of the ice. And, you know, just give all the credit in the world to Colorado. It was a close series. Um you know, a four to two series with uh, two overtime games, the, the, the deciding goal, the deciding game is also by one goal, but if you really want to peel back layer after layer, it wasn't as close as a four to two series would be, I guess as, as crazy as that sounds. And just all the credits of Colorado. Um, I, I gave Tampa a, an honest shot to win. I thought Tampa had an honest shot to win all the way until when the final whistle blew um, in game number six, but you know, now we're, uh, without hockey for a few months. So uh,
0: that's the sad part, though. It's officially football season in the Cardasco household. And there you go. You know, last year, I think the turning point for this franchise had to be after they were so disappointed in losing to VGK last season. Um, Again, second round. uh, They wound up winning the first two games, right? Uh, Then they have a blowout, I think, seven to one and then a three to two game. And then VGK heads home. And that's when I think they turned things around in that series. The biggest difference about this year's Avalanche Team 2 uh, was special teams. And in the series against BGK, there was something like four out of 12 on power play opportunities, and turnovers were just killing them, uh, and they could not clear the zone. But this was a much different and much more seasoned team. And again, you know, a lot of uh, fans and uh, media members thought that this team might be. A little bit too soft uh, heading into the playoffs this year, but they wind up at 16-4, and uh, second best record of all time in the Stanley Cup playoff run. And Jared Bednar, let's talk about him, uh, the head coach, uh, the first coach to win an ECHL title, AHL title, and the NHL Stanley Cup, and thought he might have been a little bit underrated coming into this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jared Bettner, you know, you look at the career path of our current coach, Cassidy, and there's definitely a lot of parallels you can draw, and he did everything the right way. I mean, I just pulled up his uh, hockey DB right now, assistant in the ECHL from 2002 to 2006, head coach for a couple seasons after that. Finally uh, breaks up uh, into the AHL as an assistant, then a head coach, an assistant, and then finally gets the shot in 2016 and takes a couple of years to get Colorado to where they need to be and just look at the monster and the powerhouse that's there. And it, it takes a combination of that type of coach to manage all of those players, the young talents. You do have some older talent on that team, but in general, Colorado, Colorado is a young team. And, you know, Kale McCarr said it best. They are creating their legacy. It was basically the the new legacy going up against the dynasty, and you can argue Tampa is still a dynasty. I know three championships is the the number, but you know we're not going to take anything away from Tampa. But this isn't going to be the first deep run for Colorado. Um, you mentioned uh, their series with Vegas last year, and sure, Vegas definitely helped uh, you know get another uh, notch in the belt type of thing. Uh, that was a series that. Everyone uh, wrote Vegas off after the first two games and even going into the third period. This is still one of my favorite games of, you know, season ticket holder since day one. So I've I've spent a few uh, dollars and minutes in T-Mobile, but game three against Colorado last year. Was I think one of my top two or three games I've ever seen, just with the third period comeback and the way the crowd went and everything, and that was also the beginning of the end for the Avalanche last year. So the Golden Knights did their part in helping uh, the the Avs and, and uh, Jared Bettnar to learn a little bit more about how to close out a series, and you know they didn't uh, waste any time uh, with uh, their homework over the summer and. Obviously, uh, they're, they're still celebrating with a dented Stanley Cup, probably somewhere in, in the sky. Uh, they're probably uh, flying over Chicago right about now.
0: Yeah, that's probably correct. And uh, just a few things that stood out. Uh, Kale McCarr winning the Con Smythe at age 24. His uh, career is just exceptional so far. The fourth pick in the draft lottery, I believe. They lost the draft lottery the year that he came out. And they wound up with the number four pick and what a jewel he's become. I remember Nathan McKinnon last year after losing to VGK said going into my ninth season, I've won absolutely nothing. Yep. And so now he comes up big and it was really nice to see him hoisting the cup. Nazim Kadri. Uh-huh. Anyone who thought I was a liability in the playoffs can kiss my ass. (laughs) That was just one of (laughs) on live TV. I mean, that's what he said. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, You know, they just, it was a team too that really had a chip on its shoulder. And then Darcy Kemper, who becomes a free agent, there's no way that he returns to the avalanche next season because he's going to command a lot of money now because he won the cup. Uh, Gives up another soft goal last night through the five hole. And I'm like, here we go again. How did he pull it out? There was a very interesting
1: call yesterday. So when when Kemper lifts the Stanley Cup, you know, the announcers are in the background, of course, narrating a little bit. And it was, is Darcy Kemper good enough to win a cup? Yes, he is. Like, okay. I mean, again, we, we talked about Darcy Kemper and his role with the Avalanche. It wasn't to win games. It was not to lose games. And if he can go somewhere and get paid next season because he is a quote unquote Stanley cup champion, then fine. Good for him. He did win a Stanley cup. He is good enough to win a Stanley cup. Um, If he goes up to Toronto, it's a different story. If he goes to Edmonton, I think it's a different story that Edmonton actually could be a very interesting player, but I don't know what the difference really is from Mike Smith, Darcy Kemper now that I just, you know, kind of talking out loud here, but, Give him his credit. He is a Stanley Cup champion goaltender. It might get him a, you know, a, a couple extra digits in a in his next contract, wherever that may be. But yeah, it is interesting. You know, good job, Darcy. Uh, we wish you well in your future endeavors. And you know, they'll turn it over to a Suze, and maybe uh, pick up another journeyman along the way. Maybe perhaps uh, Loren Brasois.
0: Yeah, there we go. And uh, currently, the Avalanche are favorites to repeat. Toronto is the second choice, surprisingly, this morning. Tampa Bay third. Stan Kroenke wins his second title in a few months, won it with the Rams, and now with the Colorado Avalanche. And there's no way, Chris Golick, that I would ever drink out of the Stanley Cup. No way. I've It's got history with me. So first <laughs> of all, have you ever been next to the Stanley Cup or held it or touched it? I've been
1: next to it once in Toronto and once backstage at the
0: NHL Awards with Rob Riggle, of all people. Now, it's dented. It's kind of crusty. It's steeped with tradition and everything else. But I told you before I was going to tell this story about the Stanley Cup, so I'm hell-bent to tell it. Okay? All right, popcorn's ready. Let's go. So in 2004, right, that's the year that Tampa Bay, that the Lightning, had won the Stanley Cup. That was their first Stanley Cup championship. And a player from the Toronto uh, Lightning, uh, the Toronto, the Tampa Bay Lightning, (laughs) I'm still stuck on Toronto being the second choice there. Okay, so a player from the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, he uh, he was coming to Las Vegas to spend his time with the cup and cuddle with the cup. And so uh, they throw a party and I'm invited. They hand me the keys to throw a party, I should say, at the Palms inside the real world suite. Okay, so they give me the keys to the party. So I have, you know, bartenders there and we have I got liquor donated and everything else. And it was going to be, you know, a fun party, whatever. And so in comes the Stanley Cup before we get the party started. And they're going to place the Stanley Cup over like in the middle of the real world suite, which is really kind of tiny and everything, too. So they bring it in. They've got their gloves on. They they have like this whole tradition where they they drop in the Stanley Cup and then they gather us all around and they say these are the rules of the Stanley Cup. They've got rules, okay? That go along with the Stanley Cup. Number one, number one, no profanity in front of the Stanley Cup. <laughs> okay, number we'll, two, keep going. Number two, no nudity right there over front two. of Lord Stanley. Over okay? two, keep going. Okay. And then, you know, you just have to have, you have to be courteous. And when you take photos, you shouldn't be doing anything profane with the cup. Okay. And all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Party gets started. Things are going well. People are taking photos with the cup. It's going great. I'm going to go grab dinner and then come back.
1: Yeah. That's not good.
0: By the time I get back into the real world suite, okay, naked strippers dancing. On and inside of the cup, people swearing like racehorses, and then there's liquor being poured into the cup, and it was just a disaster. So there's no way, there's no way that I would ever, ever in the history of the world, drink out of the Stanley Cup. I would. You still would, huh? I would. Even after all that. I would. It needs to be sanitized. (laughs) Your guy Corey Perry, man. uh, Hey. His third loss in a row in the Stanley Cup final.
1: Yeah, he's on the Marion Hosa plan of success right now. And, um, you know, let's see where, see where the Corey Perry
0: wheel of uh, misfortune lands next season. Stay tuned. Uh, coming up next, I had to tell that story, though, because it was love something it. else. Love the it. dancing girls, the nudity, the profanity, everything else I can't discuss right here. But coming up next, we'll take a look at the rumor mill. Is Nick Haig on the move? You are listening to Locked On Golden Knights. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports information. You could find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including Major League Baseball now that the NHL season is over. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights. Tony Cardasco and Chris Golic from Las Vegas. And yeah, I'm not going to tell any more Stanley Cup stories, nor did I mention the player that actually had uh, possession of the cup for that night. But that was an all-timer. So, Chris, uh, Ryan Kennelly of the Hockey News this past weekend reported that there are two Eastern Conference teams that are seriously, seriously interested in acquiring Nick Hague of the Vegas Golden Knights, a restricted free agent. And the Athletics said that his valuation – is about $3.3 million per season. And right now, of course, VGK mired in cap hell. Uh, This past season, uh, due to the Alec Martinez injury, he was paired with Alex Petrangelo, had four goals, 14 points in just 52 games. Uh, Can VGK, can they afford to, to part with Nick Hague?
1: I mean, can they afford to or or do they have to is probably the better way to phrase that um, for three point three million dollars. I mean, you know, it, just pulling up his numbers right now and stuff. Um, I thought he took a big step forward from 2020 to from 2020, 2021 to uh, this past season. I felt his speed really improved. Um you know, just, just over six foot two 30. I think he's bigger than that, honestly, uh, especially on skates. And he does have that big shot from the points. And, you know, if you're going to tell me we have to cut ties with Nick Hague in order to retain Alec Martinez, I think for this year, that's probably not a bad way to look at it. But a couple of years down the road from now, you know can nick Haig be have a be a better performer than alec martinez just simply based on the age and and alec martinez just you know having a lot of mileage on him um so yes can they afford to part ways with nick Haig if he's a, if he's a cap casualty you know so be it it would be unfortunate um and just the concerning factor i brought this up on a couple of shows and one of these days we'll will um, I'll get some data and I'll you know put a segment together. But you know, VGK does not have a lot of homegrown talent on the roster, being players that start at the AHL level uh with Chicago and then obviously now Henderson and that have now moved their way up. And I guess before I get too deep in this, I just wanted to give some love to the Chicago Wolves for winning of the Calder Cup. The Chicago Wolves, at least personally for me for me, were my first hockey love growing up outside of Chicago back then. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks weren't showing the home games on TV. A lot of fans just weren't happy with it. So once the Wolves came to the scene in 95, it was a breath of fresh air, fan-friendly, and I spent so much time at the then Rosemont Horizon, now All-State Arena. This is their fifth championship, I think third Calder, and uh, they have two Turner Cups when they were in the IHL. So I saw Chicago Wolves, so that triggered uh, that. So going back... Um, You know, Nick Hague was at the at the at the AHL level, 75 games with Chicago in 1819, does a few games or does 38 games the next season in Vegas. And, you know, I, I just hate to see the younger talent going because my concern, you know, you look at Tampa, you look at Colorado, you look at all these teams that are making these deep playoff runs and they do have a lot of homegrown talents. I mean, just how many years ago was it where Colorado had 48 points in a single season? It was Betnar's first season for crying out loud. And look what that's turned into. Um, I would be curious to go back for the last, you know, 14 or 15 years in the new salary cap era that we keep hearing mentioned and just compare the rosters. And you look at the players that were quote unquote brought in and free agent acquisitions versus the core of the team that was built at the you know, at the AHL level. And I'm curious how many teams are doing it like the way the golden Knights are doing it, where they're just, you know, free agent trade, free agent trade. And, you know, they're putting together teams that can possibly make some runs, but we can't get over the hump. So, you know, seeing Nick Hague possibly go is just kind of triggering all these thoughts about us not having enough homegrown talent for the longevity for the long-term.
0: Yeah. I think one of those teams might be the New York Islanders uh, that's interested in the services of Nick Hague, and things are going to be heating up pretty soon. Again, the draft is in a little over a week, a week and a half, two weeks, whatever. Uh, July 7th and 8th is the draft, and then the signing of restricted and unrestricted free agents happens on July the 13th at 12 o'clock noon. And the other uh, rumor that was circulating, Chris, this uh, weekend, was that Sean Burke, the former New Jersey Devils goaltender, And uh, a assistant with Montreal for the past uh, four or five seasons uh, is now, uh, I guess, rumored to be coming to VGK. Uh, He was an assistant coach at Montreal 2016 to 2020. And then, I believe, the director of goaltending last season. And remember, um, we were talking about this last week. Bruce Cassidy had alluded on his uh, interview with 1200 TSN in Canada that perhaps they might be bringing in a new goaltending coach for Robin Leonard. Again, (laughs) this guy is on the truth serum. So we're just going to follow his trail because he's just going to be dropping gems all along the way.
1: Yeah. So just this, this made me wonder, because I remember a few years ago when Leonard first came to the golden Knights, when Pete DeBoer first came to the golden Knights, uh, Dave Pryor was the previous goaltending coach and all of a sudden, one day, you know, I'm just going through an, an article right now. All of a sudden, Dave Pryor's is not out there. They told him to basically go home and do his job, you know, thousands of miles away from from Vegas. as That, the was, that coach. was so
0: bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I forgot all about that. That was the weirdest yeah, thing. So they sent Dave Pryor. OK, just continue to work. But yes, like, remotely pre-pandemic. Right.
1: Exactly. Pre-pand- that's that's key right there. Pre-pandemic, right after the trade happens. And now you're going back. You know, This is one of the things where you're just trying to figure out what's happening with the Golden Knights. I mean, here, here's a McCrimmon quote. Dave remains director of goaltending. He's based out of Ontario, which is where his home is. And then Pryor is like, you know, it's confounding to me why he would say that. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's gone like it it's just so strange and this i'm not saying that's what's going to happen right now there's rumors it's off season this is the time where this stuff is okay it it happens it happens it's part of the business but you know that's another you know black eye on on the face of uh you know VGK that is going to get brought up when stuff like this happens and you know this is this is something that VGK needs to write in their handling of situations like this So people in the media aren't digging up these weird stories. And
0: then all of a sudden, boom, it blows up. Yeah, that is a crazy story. And so now uh, Mike Rosati, correct me if I'm wrong, was retained by Kelly McCrimmon and by George McPhee after the firing of Peter DeBoer. And he is currently the goaltending coach for VGK. (laughs) So now it happens because I know. And again, I just feel that there might be a tussle already between Cassidy and McCrimmon. I'm starting to get that vibe there. Uh, And Robin Leonard, we know, is a handful, okay? But perhaps he was not pleased with Rosati. And who knows in what capacity Sean Burke comes here. If he is the director of goaltending, and then they retain Rosati as the goaltending coach, maybe things can work with that dynamic here. But very strange when you already have a goaltending coach, and now you're talking about bringing a former goaltender in who definitely knows, you know, how to coach goalies. This is, uh, again, this is craziness in VGK land.
1: So the one thing I'm trying to look at right now is to see if teams have a director of goaltending and a goaltending coach. So just something, just a, a headline that pops up on SB Nation. Should the Leafs get a director of goaltending like the cool teams have? So that right there tells me that there are some teams that have a goalie coach and a director of goaltending. I mean, is the job that in depth where they need two humans dedicated to coaching the goalies like that or working with the goalies, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, I I guess, I don't know. Um, Is Sean Burke more of a Cassidy, you know, a Cassidy situation or is there more to the story Because if our other coach was being retained and then all of a sudden you're bringing in, like, even if you bring a director of goalie goaltending in, like, that's just, I don't know, it it feels like the writing is on the wall, that type of thing. And I'm just thinking back to the corporate world when something weird like this happens, like you take a manager of a department who's never had a director over him before, and that director is only overseeing the department that the manager manages, you know, that that's too many chefs in the kitchen, in my opinion. And the manager is going to be out in in due time. Once the manager trains the director on how to do everything, that's uh, the way of the corporate land, of course. Um, So yeah, you definitely hope the situation is handled properly. And if this is, you know, or is this all Robin Leonard, as far as, you know, does he need two people to manage him? Like, it's there's definitely going to be some popcorn moments in the off season mm-hmm. and i certainly hope it's not too much of a distraction because you know you go back and watch the excitement of what just happened a few hours ago with colorado lift, lifting the cup that's where we want to be that's the only place that vegas wants to be right now and the window isn't that big in my opinion with the contract situation and everything we're up against so you know vgk has to figure out a lot of things right now and they're the way they're hiring random people to do random jobs all of a sudden and the McCrimmon and Cassidy, is there a push and pull already, like you said? And I still go back to two things. One, you brought up uh, a couple of weeks ago, when McCrimmon said, you know, I got some guys and Cassidy, well, I got some guys and they kind of look at each other with the eyebrow up. Well, McCrimmon's (laughs) eyebrows are always up to be fair. (laughs) Sorry, that was bad. And then um, the second thing that was said, gosh, there must be something in this coffee right now. Um, But the second thing that was said that concerned me more is that the roster composition is independent from the coach, basically meaning McCrimmon is going to put the players out there that he feels will work best within the system and you know maybe at the time i was overthinking that statement a little bit and then i kind of calmed down and then now you know all these little things that keep happening well you know maybe uh maybe i'm not overthinking it maybe no. just bicrimen is uh to cause this, some
0: trouble this is not going to work i mean it's got all the signs pointing that there will be a power struggle of some sort everything and again Cassidy McCrimmon have no prior relationship. They're just trying to build this from the ground up. And you could tell that uh, McCrimmon wants a complete grasp of this team. And Cassidy's not that guy. And, uh, oh, Mike Rosati. Okay. On Twitter. See here. Followed by Sean Burke. Oh, that's really nice. And he hasn't (laughs) tweeted since uh, Valentine's day, my forever Valentine. So uh, maybe that's his forever Valentine. Who knows? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But no, there's definitely something brewing between the front office and Bruce Cassidy. And at some point, I think Cassidy will win. He will he will win this this battle if that's what it comes down to. And we know that Leonard is a handful and we really do. And perhaps Cassidy saw something there he didn't like. And why in the world? The bigger question here, right, Chris, is why before they had a head coach, would Mike Rosati be retained by VGK?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many just things to try and figure out right now. And I, I'm with you. I mean, if we're going to, you know, bring in a, a president, but we already have a coach and now Sean Burke's going to come in, like too many cooks in the kitchen, too many strange things happening. And it's already unstable. It's a very unstable situation. I want to be careful the way I phrase this because I'm not trying to knock on Robin Leonard, but there are issues with Robin Leonard as far as coaches go and his situation and the way the last season ended. And now we're just going to put, you know, a little more gasoline onto that fire. And it's either going to somehow work or it's going to go down in flames. And if you're going to tell me to
0: make a a choice of what direction it's going to go, I don't think it's going to end well. Coming up next, players that might not fit into Bruce Cassidy's plans or his system, we will get into it deeply here. Right after this, on Lockdown Golden Knights. Welcome back on Lockdown Golden Knights. Tony Credasco and Chris Golick in Las Vegas. Thanks for making Lockdown Golden Knights your first listen each and every day. It is free and available wherever you get your podcast. And last week or a couple of weeks ago, right, we talked about uh, Chris, uh, a few players that we felt might fit into Bruce Cassidy's system, might thrive under Cassidy. And now I think we should take another angle. Uh, We've been discussing this offline about who we feel might not fit into Bruce Cassidy's plans or into his system, let's say initially. And it might be a shock to you. I'm not sure. But I think Brendan Brisson, the young gun, uh, who made it from Michigan to the AHL and expect a quantum leap up to VGK next season, could be one of those players that there will be a very interesting dynamic between Brisson and Bruce Cassidy because uh, we expect Brisson to be up with the big team come opening day. But we know that the history, historically, uh, Cassidy is definitely hard on the rookies. And it's just a matter of how much the young rookie can take, whether or not they're going to get along, whether or not they will jive. Um, He's been known, Cassidy, to bench the younger players. We've seen what he did with DeBrus there, uh, chased him away pretty much uh, in uh, in Boston and in Beantown. And we know that uh, when we heard Bruce Cassidy's comments at his opening presser, he said, you know, with rookies, you have to earn it. And so I think there's going to be a real interesting dynamic there between Bruce Cassidy and Brendan Brisson. I certainly
1: hear that, and that's definitely a fair way to look at that as far as uh, Cassidy's history is with young players and such. Um, Cassidy may not also have a choice but to give uh, Briswan that opportunity to you know, be successful on one of our top six lines. Um, another direction that I'm going to go as far as a player that concerns me, it's our MVP of uh, the last season, and that's Chandler Stevenson. And the only reason that I'm simply saying I think Stevenson could be in for you know some troubled waters is just because it's a change of scenery, it's a different situation for him. Uh, I I was on DeBoer a lot for not developing players and not seeing players go beyond what their expected potential was. Well, Chandler Stevenson is way above his expected um, uh, level, if you will. He he went way beyond his ceiling of anyone you know what anyone could have thought and Stevenson had a remarkable time with DeBoer will Cassidy be able to continue to improve Stevenson or at least keep him on par with last season and and that's my concerning factor and I'm also going to parlay that with hopefully someone like William Carlson I mentioned this I think on Friday where William Carlson can possibly come back to form for the same reason that Stevenson might take a step backwards just with that change of scenery.
0: Well, you know what I think about (laughs) Vegas Bjorn, William Carlson, just of course. Well, just the fact that like, and I watch, I watch very closely. I am glued to the TV. I take a ton of notes and he went so many times this past season, especially where teams did not even, Identify or recognize William Carlson. He was unmarked, and he still missed wide open nets repeatedly. And so I don't know how he's going to fit in. But I, I wasn't even thinking Carlson. But I I was thinking I was like, you know, another piece here. And just tell me how this player fits in, because remember, I think they just extended him over the past winter, and that's Braden McNabb. How does a Braden McNabb? fit into this system and his he, is he the right type of a player for Bruce Cassidy I'm just curious because I was thinking about going up and down the roster last night and I'm like there's a player that could be rather interesting
1: I mean you remember that hip check that Chara put on Max Max Pacioretty that almost got Chara putting handcuffs up there in Montreal <laughs> um, that was a hip check a beautiful hip check unfortunately it meant uh the creation of the patch glass which is the curved glass by the penalty box and that goes to where the the bench ends and stuff like that and brayden McNabb and nick haig are the closest thing if you will to Zedano ochara and you can't draw a comparison to chara by any means i mean that dude is an absolute warrior and he even penned a plan i don't know if i mentioned this before he even penned a plan And I don't know if it was to Cassidy or if it was to the previous coach. I know he was there for such a long time where he wanted to try and play a full 60 minute game. Like it wasn't even a joke. That's the crazy thing. So Chara is a super freak, obviously. And McNabb and Hague are the closest thing that we have as far as that big body, stay at home, kick your butt defenseman. So I would think that Cassidy would have a spot for them. I mean, McNabb just is a stable back there in our top four as far as our defense goes. He's a fan favorite. Using the Alec Martinez quote, he'll put you in the first row and you'll be eating someone's nachos. Um, so I think they'll both be okay. I, I hope they would both be okay. I really hope uh, uh, Zach Whitecloud can take that big step forward as well under Cassidy and possibly uh, you know become the, the McAvoy on the West Coast, if you will.
0: Yeah, and the, the reason why I was asking about McNabb is because Cassidy's system is one in which he likes his blue liners, his defensemen, to lead the rush. Yep, and is McNabb that type of a player? I'm not quite sure. No, he he's not bodied to be that type of
1: player, just based on his size. But McNabb does have really good hands. Like, there's a few goals he's scored where he comes up the left side and he's just kind of left alone from from one of the forwards up there and he just comes in and, you know, roofs it over the the goalie's shoulder. So he does have that offensive presence, but he, that's not his game. That's not what he's going to be working on, you know, at city national all summer or wherever he spends his summers. That's not what he's going to be working on. He's going to, you know, stay strong, keep his body big and uh, you know, do what he does. Um, It it is a fair, I'm, I'm just thinking about the blue line right now and it is a fair comparison you know, or a fair, a fair target, if you will, both McNabb and Nick Hague, because the other defensemen are all, you know, a bit smaller or they move the puck really well. Um, Even Alec, Mart- or, excuse me, uh, Petrangelo, even just for his size, he moves the puck really well and is an offensive
0: presence on the blue line. Yeah. And uh, the, the fans are asking today on the way out uh, this morning, um, Nick Hague or Alec Martinez, who should go? Who should stay? I think that that's a real interesting question. Uh, A lot of talk uh, scuttlebutt over the course of the offseason about Alec Martinez. I know that Cassidy just keeps praising him and his experience. But if push came to shove, would you try to ship out uh, Alec Martinez? Would you if it came down to Martinez versus Haig, Haig has a lot of upside. How do you feel that could play out?
1: I mean, short term Alec Martinez, long term Nick Haig. I think Alec Martinez, as far as a potential trade goes, I think Alec Martinez at least brings a return. Um, I don't know. And and Nick Haig should bring a return as well. I think the return for Alec Martinez could be a bit better. And also, you know, we're saving if Nick Haig is going to be in that 3 million range, Alec Martinez is in that 5 plus range. So you're looking at, roughly $2 million in savings right there. And obviously you're going to need, you know, a Coglin, and Miramanoff, or someone else to fill in that warrior role, which McNabb also does have that pedigree as far as blocking shots and getting dirty and doing all the little things necessary to help on the defensive
0: side of the ice. And then you hope someone else can help carry the mail a little bit on the offensive side. Good stuff. We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll have much more things are starting to develop here with the Vegas Golden Knights. Thanks for making Lockdown Golden Knights your first listen each and every day. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. We thank you all for tuning in. For my man, Chris Golick, I'm Tony Credasco from Las Vegas. We'll see you again tomorrow right here on Lockdown Golden Knights.